Another episode of Breaking Mayberry, the show about two guys trying to gain some perspective on America by watching the Andy Griffith Show and getting in touch with our old-timey America. I am Marty Schneider. I'm Dan Ludwig. We are taking on episodes 13 and 14 of season one, both directed by Bob Sweeney. <laughs> Notorious riverboat gambler Bob Sweeney. <laughs> who is, uh, like, pretty much takes over this entire season, so we'll hear his name a lot. Episode 13, Mayberry Goes Hollywood, written by Benedict Freeman and John Fenton Murray, uh, who are names we haven't seen before. Also Completely great old-timey names. John Fenton Murray. John Fenton Murray! The, of the, the Murray Brothers! Of the, the Murray Compound, where they grow wide. Like, <laughs> of a vineyard. I thought of a fucking vineyard. Oh, God. Congratulations. Uh, episode 14, The Horse Trader, written by our old friends Jack Ellison and Charles Stewart. Uh, yeah. So before we start on today's uh, stuff, we should point out the thing that we've forgotten to say all every other time, which is that if you want to watch these episodes along with us, you can watch them, at least in America anyway. They're all available on Netflix uh, and Amazon Prime, and I've found most of these episodes on YouTube as well, if you just search by the actual episode title name. And I'm not saying that you could also torrent it. But also, everyone involved in creating this is dead by now, so... Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to say I, I, I'm that sure, I'm sure CBS still has the rights and stuff. Like, I don't know. Yeah, but who gives a shit? Yeah, that... They... Yeah. Uh, yeah, so if you want to watch along with us, you can definitely find this stuff pretty easily. Or you could just turn on Antenna Television, <laughs> watch MeTV, or go to TV Land if you have cable, and... If it's between the hours of, like, 9 a.m. and, like, 3.30 p.m., you've got a pretty good chance of catching an Andy Griffith Show Being episode. vaguely aware that TV Land exists, and suddenly you're watching the Andy Griffith Show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of like an It Follows kind of thing. It's just the Andy Griffith tune just follows you behind you. You can be, like, just in the middle of watching, like, a rerun of Justified and then just remember that TV Land is on and Andy Griffith wanders into the show and it slowly fades to black and white. Wait, holy shit, Andy Griffith would fucking rule on Justified. It's kind of turning into that very slowly. There are some episodes that are straight up Justified. <laughs> like, the, the Moonshine episode that's coming up is straight up just a very low-key Justified it episode. It is an episode Justified. Yeah. Also, I just dropped an F-bomb, so uh, both, like, we've, got, we've gotten feedback from both your mom and my dad. Yeah. Uh, and both of their, like, assessment of the show in its entirety is, you two swear a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, which, I just say fuck whenever I'm trying to, like, think of something to say. So I'm gonna. We've already screwed it up, um, but I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna try to dial back the f bomb. It's gonna be a little bit more family friendly. Andy Griffith Show podcast. I tried that on episode two and just can't, like like got a headache the entire time. Just your nose starts bleeding. Yeah. 
So, we're going to start up with uh, episode 13, Mayberry Goes Hollywood. As always, I'm going to go ahead and read the one-sentence description uh, based on the Wikipedia. Mayberry is chosen as the setting for an upcoming movie, so the whole town, except Andy, gets carried away with all the glamour. This is the first time we see... Again, that's just the end. Like, Wikipedia spoils brutally. Yeah, I mean, there's only 25 minutes of story here. That's so. true. For Mayberry Goes Hollywood, uh, th- I'm, I'm rather hungover for this episode. This is the first, this is the perfect episode to be hungover for, because I feel like Mayberry Goes Hollywood is also kind of hungover, and just <laughs> kind of shuffling up to the plate, and, and just immediately bunting. It, it is, it does have kind of like a three-act structure, like kind of perfectly, but each individual act seems to come from a different episode. See, yeah. I, it's kind of, I kind of connected to it just from, like, ha- trying to write, like, like books and short stories when I was in high school. And you know the thing where you're like, I know what I want to do for Act 1, I know what I want to do for Act 2, middle, 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 and here's the ending I want. Like, you just, like, the writing the middle part is always, like, you, yeah, your attention yeah. sort of drifts off. The same thing happens to this episode where they're like, alright, Act 1, Act 2... And then some stuff happens, and then the big impassioned speech at the end. By the way, I should point out, both of these episodes start off with a town council meeting. Is it a town council meeting? In in this episode, at least, he very specifically says, or uh, the guest very specifically says, thank you for allowing me to present this idea to the town council. Why is Andy on the city council and Ellie isn't? Andy didn't run! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like... I mean... He's already the sheriff and the justice of the peace and the de facto mayor. We are basically, in watching this show, watching Andy slowly consolidate power, and it happens further this episode. He he, he low-key usurps the mayor. They both start with town council meetings. Uh, In this one, Ellie is not there. In the next one, Ellie is there, so... But also Don Knotts is. Yeah, so, yeah. so I mean, there's there's no continuity to this, but let's just go ahead and try to kick the tires on the Batmobile and uh, you know, try to put continuity here. I'm just going to my, assume... My headcanon is that Mayberry's government is literally just whoever is in the room with the mayor. Like, they're like, hey... It kind you... of is. Like, the, the mayor basically just, like, listens to and takes the uh, point of view of whoever spoke to him last. Yes! Which is terrifying <laughs> in 2018. I... I gotta say, so this is like the first like real introduction of the mayor. I love him. <laughs> I love him. He is so adorable. Like the, there is one line where they are they are debating about whether or not they should allow a movie to be filmed in their town. Yeah, let's actually just go ahead and introduce the plot yeah. of the episode. So the first scene is uh, the town council uh, in the mayor's office are listening to the uh, proposal of a uh, of a Hollywood producer named Mister Harmon. Uh, so Mr. Harmon is saying most that... He's boring actor ever. He's just really dull. And he's, like, called upon to... Uh, Deliver to, an impassioned speech at the end. And he just sort of, like, monotones it, it. Whips it. Yeah. Um, so there's this, like, very dry dude. Just the most basic guy I can think of. Just And he says, well, thank you for allowing me to present this to the town council. Uh, I would like to make a movie in Mayberry. What? How do you feel about that? Is this what, like, Hollywood producers were like back then? Of just these very monotone, proper men in, in, in thin suits who speak very carefully. Like, he's like a tax collector. Like, was it a super upstanding profession back in the I, day? I, I wonder if, like, the people making this show wanted to, like, give a middle finger to their producers or to producers that they worked with. 
They were like, let's just get the shittiest guy we can find for <laughs> the producer. You know what? Tangent. I actually believe that might still be true today. Taika Waititi, when he was making Thor Ragnarok, he told mm-hmm. a story about like going to the Marvel executives. Play, yeah. yeah, he plays the story about like he went to the Marvel executive and he played Immigrant Song, which you know plays a big role in that movie. Uh, and they hear it and and the Marvel execs, these studio execs, who are all probably like in their forties or fifties, are just like, "Oh, that's a cool song. What is it?" Yeah, and and like Taika Waititi's just like it's it's very famous. It's Led Zeppelin. I don't know how, but and I feel like that explains a lot about Marvel movies and also about movie producers in general. Is this like is this the most accurate representation of a Hollywood producer that they're all like just sort of like removed from cardboard? Yeah, like, they're just they're just so lame. You just have you have to like carve them out of plastic with a box cutter, and then they they just sort of stand there and be like, "I approve this decision." Yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think it's about it. Like I feel like that's most executives, to be honest. Anyway, so. Hollywood executive is talking to the town council, and the town council is apparently the mayor, uh, and in this case, it's Andy, uh, it is Floyd the Barber, and it is Orville, uh, who we last saw in the Guitar Player episode. He's the guy who runs the uh, mortuary. Who's really just sort of astoundingly unpleasant to look at. It's a very odd man. He's Uh, he's so much neck. He's... Like, just, just an abundance. He has more neck than head. Like, he, he, he looks like, uh, like, like you superimposed a face on a thumb. Like, it's incredible. <laughs> this is also the first time we see Floyd the Barber played by his, uh, permanent actor, uh, Her- Howard McNear. Yeah. Uh, and I've seen a few episodes with McNear playing Floyd now. I have no idea what he's going for. He's got, he's taking the Groucho look. But with zero percent of the Groucho personality, it's the the previous actor was like he was bumbling, like the one that that Barney chewed into for a solid like ten minute scene. He was like a bumbling, doddering old man, and this guy's just like he's just kind of half doing that. He feels like he really could be like an incompetent cartoon villain. It's like Dick Dastardly, but also Mister Magoo at the same time. More Magoo than Dastardly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but these gentlemen are all gathered around. They're listening to the proposal. They ask the movie producer to step outside for a little bit so that they can have a discussion. Orville and Floyd are very, very much against this idea. Yeah. They are very... As soon as the producer steps out of the room, they're very angry. Uh, and Andy says, well, why? Why are you so upset by this? And they say, well, how do we know? They're not making that movie to laugh at us. The way we the way we live and the way we talk and our fat little mayor and, and the mayor like turns around and be like you gotta let him make fun of your fat little mayor like and then that was the moment where I was like oh my god I want him to live in a little house in my backyard I want he's to adorable I want to adopt this tiny fat man I know he's not actually four foot tall but that is generally like the vibe he gives off of just this little man that you could carry around in a basket. He's basically Piglet from Winnie the Pooh. Yes. <laughs> he's just like this like this belligerent little stump of a man. He's friggin' adorable. Like he's like he's the best character on the entire show. I want to adopt him as my son. So so uh, they go through this, and the joke is that uh, whoever, like, just spoke, the mayor automatically just goes to their side. Uh, I think it's very interesting and somewhat telling that Floyd and Orville's, like, big 
issue with this is someone might laugh at them, which, again, in 2018 is very strange because if you listen to, like, our president, um, yeah. like, half of the decisions that he makes are based on the idea that somebody in another country somewhere is laughing at us, they're laughing at us in... in the in, deep, like, violent reaction to, to the, the concept of mockery. Yeah. Especially the concept of mockery by the elites. Right, right. They're like, like they're going to come down here and laugh at the simple way we live. Like, Which it, is also super meta, because like, maybe you think, like, how, like, this entire show is me laughing at Mayberry? Yeah. Like, again, it's that question of, in 1961, how seriously am I supposed to take this? Which I still don't understand. Yeah, like... That's the, that's the premise of the entire show, is I make fun of the way that these people walk and talk and live their lives. But also, half I'm supposed the to... the jokes work. are, ha-ha, bumpkins. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. But the other half are just like, these are good salt-of-the-earth people, and they deserve your respect and dignity, but they're also bumpkins. Okay, so I think I figured out, like, we... One of the first questions we had, I think, like, this episode sort of solves the mystery, is, like, are we on the side of Mayberry? Are we laughing at Mayberry? It's Pawnee. I was gonna say it's Pawnee. Like it's it's exactly like so. The the thing is like it's supposed to encapsulate like I don't know if it's supposed to encapsulate like the stupidity of America or just the stupidity of the South, but also being like despite how stupid it is, it's perfect and great and wonderful. It's Pawnee. It's also Springfield. Yeah, I'd say more Pawnee than Springfield, just because I think you're laughing with Mayberry a little more than Springfield. Like, yeah, I mean, again, it depends on the on the episode. Yeah, but yeah, we're for Pawnee pretty much throughout the entire series. Why? Because it's driven. You know, it's a similar series because it's driven by a main character who loves that town so much. Yeah, you know, so Leslie, like Leslie Nope, is you know everyone just naturally assumes she's the follow up to Michael Scott. She's kind of in the in the footsteps of an Andy Griffith character. Yeah, a little bit, like, a little bit. Yeah, the, the, though what she does is just sort of be like extremely driven and aggressive and he loves Mayberry so much that he does many crimes. Well, I mean they they do that in, in Parks and Rec too. Like like uh every once in a while uh, she they, Leslie Nope abuses her power pretty badly. And then there's an entire episode dedicated to her and Ben having to go to trial for it. Yeah. So yeah, so I, I okay, that's one of the yes. things one of the things that we're doing is like I keep like making connections between uh Andy Griffith and uh, modern comedies and how kind of like how they influence. So that's a good good example. So yeah. it, it's Pawnee. All right. So Andy oh, one, convinced, one yeah. also thing as these guys going right after they say they're going to make fun of the way we talk immediately, almost as if like they're subconsciously hearing that all three of the actors start dialing their uh, their southern accents way the fuck up. Like Andy is Andy goes from just his normal like southern accent to like, literally saying at one point. I can't even, like, do... How, he says, uh, aren't we counting our peaches before they're all fuzzed up? Like, he yeah, uses... it's the most southern vernacular. He puts, like, seven extra vowels into the word up. Like, yeah. it has it has arcs, it has cadences, like, oh, ow, ow. <laughs> they're, they're just, like, doing dueling southern accents by the end of that meeting. Uh, so... Andy volunteers to take the movie producer on a tour of Mayberry, which is very strange because you would assume that the producer would have already toured Mayberry mm-hmm. uh, before making this decision. That's why he decided he wanted to do it. Yeah. Uh, so, but Andy says, well, I'm just going to go and take him on a tour. We'll see the site and I'll monitor him and I'll see if he, like, makes any fun of us. And if he doesn't make any fun of us, 
then it's okay. And and, and the mayor agrees to that, but yeah. he, he sort of agrees on it on the basis of Andy is the last one to talk. And the the mayor like him's like, I'm glad you've all seen it my way. And Andy says, That's why you're such a good mayor. You're always thinking for yourself. Roll on snare drum and move to the next scene. Little sinister, yeah. like yeah. like yeah. the absentee mayor, adorable absentee mayor, but. Alright, so Andy, Mr. Harmon, on a tour of Mayberry, which I'm sure took about ten minutes, uh, shows him the sights. They have... Well, before they show show him the sights, there is the first oh, instance right, right. of of them literally just being like, alright, so we have, we've basically written ten minutes of script, so we just have ten minutes to kill. So first, do you want to have Don Knotts just tell a meandering story for several minutes that literally goes nowhere? Just, like, I watched that episode a couple of times. Don Knotts tells a story that involves someone's newspaper, a house cleaner, I'm several sorry. people standing around a yard. I've watched it a couple of times. I still have no idea what the story was. I'm sorry. It's Gary Cooper's newspaper, sir, and Gary Cooper's maid. The The story the story is then uh, Barney's telling this secondhand. Uh, because somebody from Mayberry went to Hollywood. He, they went on a like oh. they went on like a tour of the Stars Homes tour, and then they stopped outside of Gary Cooper's house. And you know what's outside of Gary Cooper's house? Gary Cooper's newspaper. So they all stood outside. And they kind of looked at Gary Cooper's newspaper for a while. One of them picked it up. You know who came outside? Gary Cooper's maid. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know that Gary Cooper was a famous person. So I was like, okay, so he's just telling a story about a dude in Mayberry. No, no, he's telling a story about it like like a holiday. That's the joke, right? Is that they went to a famous person's house and nothing interesting happened. And but like, but with that story that you just told, you basically like did it. Your Don Knotts is getting better with each pregnant pause you did. The pregnant pause was like five seconds. Yeah. There was a lot of parts yeah. of that story of just Don Knotts just. Staring at Andy Griffith. It's filler, but since the joke is that this story is incredibly boring, it kind of works. Like, and this is immediately followed by a second filler of Andy and Barney accidentally lock themselves in a jail cell, and they're they, like, and they're literally just like, all right, we've had this in our back pocket for a while. We 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 brainstormed on episode two. What if Andy and Barney lock themselves in a jail cell? We need to kill this ten minutes. Drop it here. Like, yeah, so yeah. they do. They, they lock themselves in the jail cell. They try to use a broomstick to get the key away. They manage to get it, but then Barney sneezes. It's just, again, it's more filler. Uh, and then Mr. Harmon shows up. He's like, well, I'm ready to take the tour. Oh, do you fellows need assistance? <laughs> Which, and the entire time they're built, like, the, the pregnant thing is like, oh, the, the Hollywood producer is going to turn out to be a bad guy. Uh, like, you're, you're, and you think, like, that's the time when he's going to, like, like, call them bumpkins or some shit like right, that. Right, right, because anybody who comes from outside is a bad person. Yeah, yeah, but he's completely, sort of, weirdly unfazed. He's like, like, he, he was just like, oh, let me help you out of your own jail cell, Sheriff. All right, let's go. I'm not going to spare literally a second thought. I'm not, I don't have any questions. I won't think about this at all. This doesn't make me pass any judgment on you whatsoever. He's more robotic than the actual robot guy in the last episode. Like, the one who everyone thought was a robot. Yeah. 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 So then they go on the tour. Um, they meet up with uh, Floyd and Orville again. Um, Floyd... <laughs> So they introduce him. This is Barbara Floyd, and I don't know why he's introducing him to Floyd because they, they already, already met. met. They already met. <laughs> this episode is so badly written. Like so he's, 
they've got so bo- like they got so bored writing this. <laughs> And they, they really, like, overestimate how funny Floyd and Orville are. Because Floyd and Orville are in a lot of this episode. So, Floyd is just like, oh, I always... And his delivery on this is so weird. He says something like, oh, I always did want to be a barber. I, I When I was little, I used to I used to practice on cats. I used yeah. to catch them in an alley and trim them, you know, like a murderer. Yes! No, yeah, Floyd is... Car- <laughs> I feel like we have, a like, a, like Mayberry's big wall of potential serial killers. Floyd's on the wall now. <laughs> Floyd is... It is it is currently Barty Fife and Floyd. Yeah. 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 And uh, maybe someone else who I'm going to remember later. Uh Emma. Emma, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Emma's potential serial killer. Oh, no, wait. Uh Stranger in Town guy is still hanging out. Oh, he's out. definitely there. I don't that know. dude is definitely on the wall. Yeah. And then they have this little bit about how Floyd isn't that good of a barber for humans, but he's great for cats. Ha ha ha. And then they just gotta walk away. Like, well, time to go meet another person in the town. Again, like, they just do, like, like, literally, like, it's just a tour episode. They literally just, like, Andy walks from situation to situation, says, Hello, character in Mayberry. Do you have anything to say? And the character goes like, maybe. Like, (laughs) I'm gonna start talking. We're gonna find out if there's anything here. In some instances, the answer will be no. It's in the episode anyway. We have so much time to kill. They, uh, they go to they go to Orville's place, right? Oh, yeah. God, there's a bit because yeah. like because like Orville is the town like funeral director, but he's also the town TV repair person, which is a funny idea in theory. Yeah, yeah. They don't know how to stick that landing just yet. Well, I think it's it's funny if you have if you can get like at all like like blue with it, which they can't. Like they can't get really macabre with. I I thought I thought the gag that they did come up with was really funny. Uh, was kind. Of, I'm not gonna say really funny. It was kind of funny. The gag that they do come up with is Orville says, "Oh, I'm sorry. I'm a little busy. I have a customer in the back, Mrs. McCabe." And uh, and Andy's like, "Oh, Ed- Edna McCabe? Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, her picture tube blew, and she gets really mad if she can't see wrestling." I'm like, all right, that's pretty much the one joke you can do with that setup. Yeah. And then a hearse pulls up, and it's like, oh, my new TV antennas have shown up. This impression is, is is pretty accurate and really upsetting. <laughs> I, I actually like the way that this guy delivers stuff. Sounds like a Muppet. <laughs> These are Muppet people. Yes. Like, Floyd and, Floyd and Orville are Muppet people. Again, M- Orville kind of looks like a Muppet. Yeah. He does sort of look like a sock that someone is manipulating a hand underneath him. So then they return to the oak tree, which is in the center of town, and uh, um, Mr. Harmon is doing the thing that like people in like movie producers do on television. I don't think they actually do this. Uh, the, and he's he, like he he's, he's doing the thing where he puts his two thumbs together, and makes a little window screen with his fingers. And um, and they like Andy asks what he's doing, like, and then the, he explains it. He's doing it to like look see what it would look like through a camera. Again, this is like another three-minute bit. They get every second out of they can because he's like they show Andy like doing the little screen around town and be like, "Well, I'll be. Look at that. <laughs> this is such a pretty town. Oh, look, there's Opie and Aunt B. Oh, they look so good on a camera." And then Opie comes up and is like, "Hey, what you doing?" And then Andy explains it again, <laughs> and then Opie is like, "All right, now I'm gonna do it." 
Like, and just, like, they, they're they just, like, doing, like, a combo of it. Like... Now, now hang on, hang on. There's, there's a moment that Opie has here that's treated like a joke, but it's actually one of the smartest things anyone in the entire, like, show has done. When Opie finds out that there's going to be a, a movie shot there, he says, Oh, wow! You're going to make a real movie with cowboys and gunfights and shooting and stuff? And uh, the producer's like, No, it's not, it's not that kind of movie. I'm sorry. And Opie's like, you mean there's another kind? Because <laughs> the joke is like he's never seen any movie that's not a western, like the cowboy shooting. And of course, that's a joke. Everyone like makes fun of him. Ha ha, silly, stupid kid. Opie's the only one who has come close to asking, hey, what is this movie about? Yes! No one asked, what, what, what is this movie about? Like, I don't understand. Do, do, do Floyd and Orville think that they're making a documentary? Is it like a Greg Garden situation? What they are worried that like they're going to be made fun of. Is it going to be just like, like do they think it's just going to be someone like wandering around town and be like, look at this piece of shit? <laughs> hey, say something into the camera, idiot! All right, come on, on to the next one. Like just a, a like a rolling tour of fuck these people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a very weird idea because that's not how movies work. And I feel like even these bumpkins know how movies work. <laughs> Like, no, I mean, maybe they haven't mentioned having a movie theater yet. There, there is a movie theater. I Definitely, they haven't mentioned it, but you can see it in the background in several shots. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, so I've definitely seen the theater. It's oh, like, until it's explicitly stated and or shown. And also OBC movies. That is, I, basically my, my philosophy with the show is like, unless it's, until it's explicitly stated or shown that it is in Mayberry, I just assume they don't have one. Because oh, they and, keep and being also, surprised that shit exists. Also, in Opie's uh, in Opie's charity, uh, Andy asks Opie if he wants to take his girlfriend to movies. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, so there is a movie theater there that's been established. Yeah, yeah, Opie's the only one who asks, "What is this damn movie about?" It's we never know. They just left that part out. You know, I will. I'm going to take a little tangent here. Um, tell a story. This actually kind of happened in my childhood. There is a town near where I grew up called Jacksonville, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jacksonville, Oregon's a very nice, quaint little, uh, town. One of the big things, their big tourist thing is they're, like, historically registered, so it's all colonial-style houses and cobblestone streets and things, and, like, horse-drawn tours. It's very Mayberry-esque. Mm-hmm. There was a crew of producer, I want to say it was, like, probably Paramount, filming an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Hell yes. Yeah, that wanted to come in and film in Jacksonville, and I want to say that the movie was Kindergarten Cop. Uh, yes! And the reason I say it was Kindergarten Cop is because they later like went further north in Oregon and filmed it. Because the Jacksonville Town Council, they had a big meeting, they had a big vote on it just like this, and they eventually decided, no, we're not going to let Arnold Schwarzenegger film Kindergarten Cop here. And I think that their logic was, you know, we have like a rural, a rural and historic uh, aesthetic that is our trademark here, and this would ruin it. But they don't also part of it, it. So, yeah, they don't want to dilute the brand. But also partly, they're all going to laugh at you! <laughs> So, yeah, watching this episode, I was like, holy shit, I remember hearing about this, like, when I was a kid. I remember, like, knowing that this was a thing uh, mm-hmm. that actually happened. So, I'm gonna, I believe it. I believe everything that happens in this episode. The movie Grown Ups filled its funeral scene in my town. Rob Schneider was everywhere and inescapable. Like, none of them wanted to talk to us except Rob Schneider, who was in your face the entire time. I feel like Rob Schneider doesn't have a whole lot going on for him. It was kind of a bummer. Rob yeah. Schneider really wanted to shake everyone's hand. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so they finished doing the... Uh, the fingers know, bit. The, the fingers oh, bit. Oh, one other thing before we move on. Oh, yeah. Because this is the first time I've seen a joke not age well, but it makes it funnier. 
Aunt B makes a big point of asking, like, hey, will Rock Hudson be in this movie? Because she's got a major crush on Rock Hudson, and this gets brought up several times. And he's like, I bet Rock Hudson would like you like that. <sighs> eh, eh. Like, nope, nope, Rock Hudson would not be interested in you, Aunt, Aunt B. And also not be interested in Ellie. Rock Hudson would not be interested in any of the women in that town. Rock Hudson might be interested in Andy. As far as the Andy Griffith show uh, is concerned, and this has been established, Rock Hudson doesn't technically exist. As soon as his sexual orientation veered towards men, he just blinked out of existence. I mean, in fairness, that was, like, everyone's understanding of, of that person in 1961. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. They that... can't fit Rock Hudson in their consciousness. Uh, there's one other famous person that gets referenced. That's Gabby Hayes. And I figure, like, between Gabby Hayes or Rock Hudson and uh, Gary Cooper, Gabby Hayes is probably the least uh, known person. I thought it was an interesting point that they mentioned Gabby Hayes. Gabby Hayes was like a, he was a Roy Rogers, Gene Autry kind of character actor. He was in their movies, but he was always like the, like, Russian fashion uh, prospector kind of guy. Yes. He was always that guy, like the big beard and the like. Like, uh, I feel like that must have been a really juicy role back then. Like, you always needed a like a, a <laughs> wacky prospector. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was he was like the the, the joke kind of character. Um, and in fact, like Toy Story two, the the prospector kind of guy was modeled after Gabby Hayes. That's the kind of person we're looking at. All right. Yeah. So the so he was all the wrestling, fraction wrestling, and so Barney asks the producer if he knows Gabby Hayes, and the producer's like, "Oh yeah, I saw Gabby Hayes." And, again, it's just like... I saw him, and I said, hello. Yeah. Hello, Gabby Hayes. And he said, hello back. Yeah, and I guess the joke is that Gabby said something like a really boring non-joke. Like, Gabby was like, how's the picture business? Which, if you were in 1960 and you knew who Gabby Hayes was, you'd think that was really funny because he said something boring, but he's known for playing these, like, cantankerous, bombastic characters. Oh, okay. That's that's the joke. The joke is that this guy who is, like, famous for being, like, very silly said something incredibly boring and stupid. Man, are, are, are a couple of jokes have just gone over my head because I, di- I don't know, like, have no context for old-timey Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. I have a little bit of context for old-timey Hollywood. And uh, I'm Karina Longworth, and this is You Must Remember This. Please don't sue us, Karina. If they had the twist at the end that, looking at my hand, Mr. Harmon uh, <laughs> turned out to not actually be a Hollywood producer and was just like some con man who was like pretending to be one, that would have been like so. They plant seeds for that the entire time. Nope. Nope. Yeah, that would have been so much better. We haven't even ended Act One. So, end of Act One is uh, the. Andy says, "All right, you have you have my approval yeah. to film here." Basically, he is a dictator of this town. <laughs> Act two. Now everybody, we go to commercial, we come back, uh, and now everybody's really excited uh, that they're going to film a, a movie in Mayberry, and everybody's like very excited. Mister uh, Harmon is gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went back to Hollywood to go get his crew and everybody, and they're coming back to Mayberry. Which seems like a really inefficient way to do things, but what else? Just, oh, yeah. like, set, call them, like, and tell them, like, yeah. come here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so everybody starts, like, wearing their, like, Sunday fest, and they redesign all the storefronts, and now it's, like, Hollywood Diner. Yeah. Famous funerals. They, you know? they give Don Knotts, like, a state trooper uniform with a bunch of, like, buttons and badges, and he's, again, Don, like, uh, 
Barney Fife is rock hard for this. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, he's, his, his authority boner is he, he, gets, he gets this, like, full-on, like, Canadian Mountie uniform. Why a Mountie? I don't understand why a Mountie. Uh, uh, Andy refers to him as Smokey Bear, which I guess because of the hat, because yeah. Smokey Bear doesn't have a uniform. He just wears pants. And, yeah, no, he, he does have the Smokey Bear hat, I hat. guess. <laughs> the Pharrell hat. Yes. And, and a, a nice pair of blue jeans. Yeah. Yeah. So... So everybody is, like, losing their mind about this thing. Uh, Aunt B and Opie are dressed like ridiculous, like, like Sunday school characters. And uh, and this is the part I was referring to where it just sort of goes middle, middle, middle. Yeah, middle, I mean, like, I, I feel like we can skip about half of this stuff. Literally, they just, everyone in Mayberry lets the fame go to their heads. They all start putting on airs. They show, like, 15 examples of this. Lloyd is wearing a tuxedo or some bullshit. Yeah, they yeah. painted a bunch of buildings. Or a bunch yeah, of... blah blah blah. There's yeah. only one like point of any consequence, and that is Andy goes back to the mayor's office. Uh, the council is back in session, uh, and the mayor puts out his plan for like the reception for when the producer gets back and his crew. Uh, and says, we're gonna do a drum and bugle corps, and then my daughter's gonna sing a song, and uh, and then we're gonna cut down that old oak tree. And, like, for no reason, no one asked him to cut down the old oak tree. Because yeah. Because it's an eyesore. And so Andy has to, like, go to bat and say, like, wait, why? We can't cut down the oak tree. What are you doing? Which, they don't establish the old oak tree as an aspect of the town. Like, they, they don't really, like, they don't check off gun this. Like, this they... is the first time we've ever seen this oak tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Andy kind of has, like, a throwaway line, like, I used to climb that oak tree when I was a boy. And that's about it. Yeah. It's, a, it's just an old tree that's in the middle of town. Yeah. Uh, and so Andy, like... You know, protest this, but he's voted against. He's shot down. End of Act 2. Moving on to Act 3. Andy is now, like, the only person. He's still wearing his his old normal uniform. And Barney's, like, giving him, like, guff about it. Just saying, you're gonna want to wear that uniform. I bet and they won't put you in that picture at all. And he's just kind of, like, like Andy's just kind of sulking for the, the duration of, of Act 3. Yeah, at <laughs> one point in time, he's like, I don't mean to be cantankerous. But I won't wear such a ridiculous outfit. Well, that southern <laughs> accent really went off the rails. That went real far. Well, that Andy is 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 sternly disapproving of, of Mayberry's uh, uh, new look. Yeah, uh, he's. It is one of the one of the rare episodes where uh, Andy hasn't fucked up in any way. Yeah, yeah. Andy's in completely in the right in this episode. Yeah, and then finally, our producer friend arrives. Uh, he doesn't have any of his crew in tow. Apparently. No, he just shows up again. Yeah, yeah. He like says, "I want to start filming as soon as they get here." I'm like, "Where? What did you do?" Yeah, I'm gonna go forward and prepare the town, I which I guess I guess he needed to do. This episode is so hungover. Yeah. Like, it's uh, and and then he he shows up and he uh, he does a speech of like, "Look at you all! What have you become?" Oh God! You used to be so wholesome and perfect, and I've and you've perverted yourself into something into something terrible. I could have built this set in Hollywood. <laughs> he has to say Hollywood again in Hollywood. <laughs> what have you done to the town and to yourselves? This isn't the Mayberry that I wanted to photograph. I could have built a set like this in Hollywood. Weird. I do think there's something to the theory that this guy is not from Hollywood. It sort of feels like uh, just from between this episode and the previous one in which another strange robotic dude comes in that like the town of Mayberry is an alien zoo and every now and then like caretaker robots come in to inspect <laughs> them. 
Like, they're being experimented on it's, by... It's, it's Westworld, essentially. Yeah. This is all a simulation. There is no world outside uh, of Mayberry. I, I'm in a dream. <laughs> I have never questioned my reality. <laughs> oh, this reality is our reality. So he rolls and he does the impassioned speech. And it, it is kind of like a neat flip that they have the uh, the big Hollywood guy give, like, the impassioned speech the, for the small town. The outsider gets his moment. Yeah. yeah. He does a speech for small town values. It's it's kind of a, a neat little flip. Sure. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a little, like, twist on the Andy Griffith mode operandi. Mayberry has, like, an inferiority complex. They're always like, oh, we're just a, a dirty little town from the south. No one's going to take us seriously. And every now and then an outsider rolls in and is like, you guys are insanely perfect. You, everything here is great. I wish I lived here. I've been here thirty seconds, and I'm in love with Mayberry. Here's you, your validation. Yeah, just like like outsiders never come in and are like, "Look at this piece." Well, with the exception of Bobby Fleet. <laughs> Bobby Fleet <laughs> rules. Yeah, Bobby Fleet came in and just roasted the entire town. <laughs> Everyone, like, if Bobby Fleet gave the entire town like an inferiority complex, they're like, "Oh, it's another Bobby Fleet." And every outsider's like, "No, no, no." Yeah, Bob, Bobby Fleet burned everyone so well Bobby that the Fle- entire town is just now has like PTSD. Bobby Fleet left a psychic and emotional crater just in, <laughs> in the center of town that they're still recovering from. Oh, holy shit. He was this town's uh, Hiroshima. Like, he just <laughs> nuked it. We gotta say, though, like, for this particular episode, uh, Mayberry Goes Hollywood, Danny doesn't do shit. He just hangs he, out. He's a bystander for the entire episode. He, and he, then... The, the early meeting is the extent of his action. And then the rest of it is either being disapproving or saying, I told you so. Yeah, and then and then he gets to go ahead and, and be smug uh, at the end. Because uh, the producer proved him right. And the producer's like, stop doing what you're doing. Go home. Get dressed. Like, put the town back to normal. Yeah. Uh, and 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 Angie just kind of gets to be smug and be... And, uh, Barney asks if he can still keep the cool uniform for like whatever he calls decoration day and that's about it like we go to the epilogue which is haha Barney locked himself in the jail again and that's it that's the episode it's really like it is a, kind of an impressively badly written episode in that just like it, the, it just forgets what characters have met each other before they like they they really like it's a good the it has a really good first scene and a pretty good end scene. Like the 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 producer's speech, Mr. Harmon's speech about small town values, is pretty good. Uh, it's just in between that, it's just them going like, all right, we got to get from point A to point B, and also I don't want to work late this week. Yeah. So Benedict Friedman and John Fenton Murray just fucking phoned this one in, and it's their first day on the job. We've never seen these people before. Are they getting their what maybe i don't know i'm looking i'm looking ahead we don't see them again they write episode 19 so we'll see them again in about six episodes but for now let's move on to episode 14 written by our old friends jack ellison and charles stewart the horse trader which ones did have these guys written before a whole bunch of stuff uh they are ellie for counsel is one of theirs okay uh Ellie comes, wow, all the Ellie episodes. Ellie comes to town. The guitar player was one of theirs. Manhunt is one of theirs. Okay, so yeah, these guys are the hits. These guys come out swinging. I, I think they might have the highest percentage of what the living shit. Uh, like, they they don't have uh, the one where they frame a man for armed robbery. But they, I think all the other really horrifying ones uh, were these guys. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. All right, so the horse trader. Uh, 
here's our one sentence summary from Wikipedia. Andy makes up a story about an old useless cannon in order to sell it to an antique dealer, uh, even though he just told Opie about honesty. So this is another one of those like Andy <laughs> tells Andy tells uh, Opie something and then it bites him in the ass immediately. Episode got hoisted on my own pitchfork. Yeah, as, it, as Andy puts it. Yeah, we're gonna, that's a good term. We'll call them pitchfork episodes. Yeah, yeah. it's another Andy pitchfork episode. This is one of the ones where Andy's just so very blatantly and clearly in the wrong. And, like, and it's the first time that the, the show really, like, calls him out on it. Like, it's the first time where Andy does something very illegal and unethical, and everyone around him immediately goes, like, what are you doing? Yeah, like, yeah. It's uh, very clear. Let's go. Let's get into it. Yeah, yeah, Let's go. The episode starts with... Andy and Barney at the jail cell getting ready to go to a town council meeting. And there's a good little, like, character bit here I like where Andy is uh, using the jail mirror to shave. Like, he's getting ready in the jail. Like, I guess implying that he didn't have enough time or, like, to do it at his house yeah. or what have you. Uh, so he's, like, and there's no one in the jail ever. So he's just, like, using the mirror. Again, the jail is just, like, a spare apartment for people to live in. It's, yeah, no, the, it, it's sort of, like, like further establishing the jail as just, like, like a clubhouse. Like, yeah. it's it's just, like, Andy Griffith's treehouse that, like, sometimes they have to detain prisoners in. Yeah. 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 So they're getting ready for the town council meeting, and they're discussing the proposal to remove a historic cannon uh, from the town courtyard, and Barney's very much against this because he likes that cannon. Uh, and Andy saying that cannon's an eyesore. It didn't get any. I like this a little bit. That cannon was always really ugly, but it didn't get any better when we blew it up trying to fire yes. last Fourth of July. They destroyed and, the barrel of it. And I want that episode. Yeah, that's a that like Pete that character beat or not character that story beat would be fucking perfect. Like that would be some great physical comedy. Okay, uh, I need to clarify something. North Carolina Union State, correct? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, they talk about it. Uh, Confederacy. Mayberry was part of the Confederacy. That comes up because uh, in season two, there is a matter that involves a government bond that someone in the town tries to cash. Uh, this is a spoiler, but they managed to wiggle out of it on the basis that Mayberry was part of the Confederacy at the time of issuing the bond, so they only have to issue it in Confederacy. Okay, so so we just looked it up, and yeah, so I was wrong. North Carolina, not a Union state, Confederacy. So let's be very clear here. This episode is about the removal of a Confederate monument. That yeah. is exactly what's happening. Holy shit! Yeah, no, it was like uh, it was fired at the at like some battle. Was no wait, was it actually? Well, it, it, it apparently didn't do shit. Yeah, but, but Andy tries to claim that it was relevant. Yeah, which he claims it was relevant through like. Non like benign non civil war uh, uh, relevance. It's really weird. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Yes, but yeah. So uh, Barney and Andy are talking about removing this cannon. So now the city council uh, is uh, features Barney, Andy, Ellie, Floyd uh, is still on it. Floyd's there. Floyd's or there. I, I, Orville's there, I think, but he doesn't say anything. Orville is also there. Yeah. So. Again, I, city cat like Mayberry is so like haphazardly run that the government is literally just whoever is in the room and just it just happens to get a just happens to get a vote, which Ellie must have been super pissed about because she was like, "Oh, I overcame sexism and I could have literally just walked into the room." Like, here's here, 
maybe maybe as the town sheriff, Andy has like a de facto seat. Like he's an elected official. He is an elected official. I or maybe it's as justice of the peace. Possibly. But then Possibly. why the why does Barney get why to vote? Why is Barney there? I don't know why Barney gets to vote. It is literally my my definitive headcanon is just the mayor is losing his mind. He is going increasingly senile. And just Andy, like, it, like lit- Andy just literally brings in Barney to whip votes when he, uh, yeah, yeah, whenever he wants. So, so Barney's voting, uh, he makes a big deal. He's going to vote against the removal. Mm. He likes his cannon. He's very upset about it. Uh, Andy makes a little, makes fun of him a little bit like, oh, you don't like change. You're a little bit, uh, conservative, huh? And Barney makes a little bit about, like, Barney's just a cantankerous old man. He got mad when the post office bought a stamp machine. Yeah, man. Yeah, no. Uh, it 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 does sort of touch upon the recent like uh, the recent removal of Civil War monuments. Uh, it it sort of it matches up perfectly with all the shit that went down last year, which is uh, it's an extremely shitty monument that no one really likes. And all the people who want to keep it around are ostensibly doing it just because they don't want to, they, they don't like changing the town. It, it, it matches up perfectly. I wish there, there should have been someone, uh, someone protesting, like, the death of our heritage at the removal of this shitty cannon. Yeah, I mean, Barney comes closest to that, but then he's just like, he's just like, I just, I just like it. I just want to like it, dude. He doesn't like it enough to buy it, which is what comes up next. So, yeah. The, the town, like, the town votes to remove the cannon because everyone hates it. Barney does not go on record as saying no because he makes a big deal out of like saying, "I don't want to go on record as a rabble rouser." Yeah, like, he like makes a big deal about like you have to count the nose, you have to count the nose, and it like and it's a pretty like accurate uh, representation of every local politics I've ever seen. Yeah, the mayor is about to adjourn the meeting, and then Andy brings up like, "Wait, well, we haven't decided what to do with it yet." Yeah, and then like. Ellie makes a perfectly rational suggestion that Andy just shits all over. <laughs> Ellie's just like, well, we could donate it to the State Museum. And everyone's like, yeah, we'll donate it to the State Museum. And then Andy's just like, no, you stupid bitch. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh yeah, some fucking museum is gonna want our shitty cannon, you idiot. Like, the Andy very... just shits on her very valid idea. And then, but his counter idea to donating it is that they should sell it. Which, like, for some reason, if you no, can't... No, no, it, it's not Andy's idea. Barney's, Barney's idea, idea to sell it. Why doesn't he shit all over that? Like, if if like if like they can't give it away for free, why do they think they'll be able to sell it? Yeah. yeah. Like, it's... And, and so... It's literally just shut down because the woman said it. Like... Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Barney says we could sell it. Andy's like, I guess we could sell it at auction. And, and they never have an auction. Like, it's super strange. They just sort of, like... Their style of trying to sell it is... So it, it is decided that they're going to sell it. The mayor uh, puts Barney and Andy in charge of selling it. Andy begins murdering Barney with his eyes for the duration of the episode. Just, yeah. like, glaring daggers into him because he now has to work. Oh, we, we, we missed an important part. We yes. missed something important. Before they left for the city council meeting, Barney and Andy ran into Opie. And Opie said that he was going to go to his friend's house and he'd be roller skating back. And Aunt Barney is, or Andy says, that doesn't make any sense. You don't have any roller skates. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> and Opie says, I'm going to get them because I'm going to trade them to Bill. Uh, I'm going to trade him for my licorice seeds. Ba- basically, the gist of it is 
Opie got screwed in a bad trade. He got conned because Opie has, like, no cognitive abilities whatsoever. Nope, yeah. He traded his cat pistol away for what his friend called licorice seeds. Like, stuff where you could grow your own licorice. And then Opie figured out, I got cheated because I'm stupid. Yeah. But he's smart enough to figure out, well, I can go cheat this other friend and get some roller skates out of it, and that's way better than a cat pistol. Opie's cognitive abilities are directly proportional to how bad of a thing he's doing. Yeah, like, yeah. if it's, if it's like, just being, like, a benign, like, normal human being, he doesn't know how to, like, use a fork. But if it's, like, uh, if it's, like, conning someone out of their hard-earned possessions, Opie is suddenly, like fucking wheeling and dealing and, like, doing high-level Rain Man mathematics in his head, like... Remember, this is a guy who, you know, he, he can't spell. He, he can't, can't write. Yeah, he's illiterate, and he's still able to, like, to pull off some, like, pretty, like, some solid crimes for a child. I mean, it starts in the home. Yeah. It starts in the home. It's... I, I have a developing theory about this show, which is, uh, before he was a sheriff, Andy was, like, a con man. Like, it kind of... He's... Andy is a fantastic con man who is inexplicably a sheriff. Like, my he- my headcanon is that that's what he did before he was this, and he somehow, like, tricked his way into getting the sheriff job. Well, you got trouble, right? Here in Mayberry. Here's a badge. You can fix it. Wait, what? What? And, no. No. And, like, no, yeah, he was like, I had I had a whole I had a whole con I was going to do. There, I was going to do a song a- and everything. It was, uh, I, I, I was kind of, like, Pretend about some some musical instrument. Okay, you guys want to make me? The make, head I mean, this I, works this is, too. This is way better than my plan. All right, a combination of the Music Man and Banshee, like, <laughs> and and meanwhile, his son has like his God given talent for ripping people off. Like, he's watching it happen to him. Be like, no, 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 no. He can't like he he can't live my life. Not after the things that went down in Atlanta. Like, <laughs> Like at some point, uh, at some point, some character is gonna roll into town and be like, "Funny seeing you here, Jack Morris." Or are you going by Andy now? Like, <laughs> you still owe me a hundred large. It's gonna be a history of violence. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, so well, it's very important that we like establish that Opie was gonna do this, and then Andy scolded him for it. Yeah, said like, "You can't do that." You can't, like, break the golden rule. It's good fun. Golden rule is do unto others what they would do. And I was like, yeah, it was done unto me. Now I'm going to do it unto that guy. One of the episodes <laughs> where Opie is a straight-up savage. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> Every now and then, the right the right writer gets uh, yeah, gets, yeah. gets his hands on Opie. And Opie is just down for no one's shit. It like, rules. Yeah. It rules. No, so Andy says, don't do that. It's bullshit. Right. Oh, but his general thing is just like he he starts to lecture him, and he just like kind of goes like, "I don't have time for this. Don't do it. I gotta go vote." <laughs> like, so then they leave, and then Opie says to nobody, "If honesty is the best policy, how come I'm out of cat pistol?" <laughs> and then the scene Rob ends. Rob Howard's terrible acting of he just yells that line into an empty street. Yeah, take that Academy Award winning director Ron Howard. Sometimes you were a bad actor when you were a little kid. When you were given, you were clearly given vague and confusing stage directions. You didn't enunciate effectively. They vote to get rid of the cannon, and they put Barney and Andy in charge of selling it. We do this little uh, montage set to uh, the ants go marching, which they they 
chain the cannon to the back of their cruiser and just start driving really it around funny. town. <laughs> it's such, like, yeah, they don't do an auction. Their thing is to just strap it to the back of a police car, drive around Mayberry, just going like, hey, y'all want a cannon? <laughs> They're door-to-door cannon. Yeah, can I introduce anyone in a friggin' cannon? <laughs> Who wants some artillery? Come on down. Come on down to Crazy Andy's House of Cannons. I know there was like a Mayberry resident just like, Walking down the street, like, oh, don't look. They, they're, they're dragging the freaking cannon again. It's oh, like, God, don't, don't, don't look up, don't look up, don't it, look up. It's like when you see somebody in, like, an orange vest with a clipboard outside of, like, a grocery store. It's like, fuck no, off. No, 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 damn it. Damn it. I don't want to buy any contact. newspapers to support the homeless. God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> so, this, this montage of them, like, going around trying to sell it. Like, the only funny one is when they go to, like, a junk dealer, and the junk dealer's got to be all fine, and says, we sell anything, and he refuses, and he, like, pulls off a cover, and he's already got a cannon. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I don't need more cannons. My cannon quota is met. It's kind of weird, because, like, they were, they were selling, they were trying to sell the cannon for literally anything. I would, I would take a cannon. Like, if someone rolled up and was like, I'll give you a cannon for any money, I'd be like, I mean, I don't have any use for that per se, but also, friggin' Like, I'll buy a candlelight cannon on humble bundle pricing. (laughs) (laughs) Once they've gone through everyone in town, they just kind of sit around. They return the cannon to its original spot. uh, And Barney and Andy kind of have an argument because Andy tries to convince Barney, well, you like this cannon so much. Why don't you buy it, idiot? It's kind of Andy finally reaches the... The limits of his ability to manipulate Barney, like yeah, yeah, which he doesn't use like Barney's authoritarian tendencies. He wouldn't. He he didn't do like if you put this cannon in the yard, everyone would bend to your unyielding authority. It would really signify your 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 strength as a man, like your connection to your ancestors, Barney. Like he should just like yeah, if he he could have definitely gotten Barney on like some of that, but instead he should have got like, Mussolini. Yeah, instead he's just. <laughs> Instead, he's just uh, like, well, you like this cannon, you can put it in your yard, people will play on it, and it will be like a historical monument. And, and like, Barney, of course, is just like, what interest do I have in that <laughs> if I can't control them? He, it was, he was kind of, yeah. He was like, I don't really want it. And Andy is like, yes, you do. You do want it, Barney. Like, he's trying to, like, like Jedi mind trick him like he does yeah. every other episode. And Barney just, like, straight up goes like... Stop it! Stop it! I will not let you do this to me again! I don't want the cannon! Like, he finally, like, like rises up and is like, 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 this is a bridge too far! You've done a lot to me! You've tricked me out of dates! You've made me work on weekends through doing this! You are not making me take an old piece of artillery! No! <laughs> it's so weird, because Barney is, of course, the exact kind of person who would buy a cannon. Yeah! But whatever, he doesn't want to buy the cannon. I, I, so, I kind of, like, I wanted there to just be a line of, like, my therapist, Dr. Sheldon, says that I need to start standing up to you. Uh, okay, so... Uh, the, so next, the next scene is they're hanging around the pharmacy shop, drinking milkshakes or whatever, and uh, Barney comes in and he says he's got somebody who's going to take the, the cannon. Uh, the junk dealer in town is going to take it. And all we have to do is pay him $15. The joke is he'll take it off our hands for $15. And he's like... Well, $15 isn't very much, but, you know, I don't think we got any other options. Collect the money from him and we'll uh, we'll drive it over. And Barney goes, no, we have to pay 
him. And Andy just goes like, ah! Like, just sort of, like, throws up his hands and is and is just, like, completely, like, defeated. So then the answer to their problem just literally walks right in the door. Uh, comes in and asks Ellie to buy some pipe tobacco. Uh, and then looks at this, like, very nice display that Ellie has of this, like, a, like a wash for It's like a wash tub. Another and potential she, alien. Yeah. Another, yeah, this dude is also a potential alien. Yeah. Uh, he looks very much like, uh... Like the guy on the Simpsons that sells the monorail. <laughs> he has like this. The, he ha, he has like the the suit. The the, 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 uh, like, the, che- the like checkered wool jacket suit, like yeah. the, the car salesman suit jacket. Um, and oh, I, I I'm putting a straw boater hat on him, but in my mind, but I don't think he actually has. He it. sort of looked like Don Rickles to me. Like mm. he, yeah, yeah, I can see it. So then he like looks at this like display that Ellie has on the counter where she's selling like soap in this big like steel bucket and. He's like, well, I haven't seen one of those in a while. And Ellie's like, so? It's a bucket. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's like, oh, that's a tin radiator wash tub thingamajigger. He's like, I'll buy that for you for $5 because I'm an antique dealer. And he, like, boasts this out, like, yells at it. And Ellie's like, all right. He was just trying to pick up Ellie. He was just like, like, he was just trying to name drop, like, you know, as an antique dealer. That's absolutely I'm what it really, is. Yeah. And I love Ellie's response to this, because Ellie's response to everything is just, okay! Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it, Ellie basically says, like, so you want to buy my bucket? bucket. Yeah. <laughs> like, it may be an antique. It's a friggin' bucket. Okay. Yeah. So she starts, like, taking the soap out of it. I guess I'll put this soap in any other bucket. Like, yeah. <laughs> so Wait. she collects her $5 and... Everyone immediately accepts that he is, in fact, an antique stealer. I would have, like, equally entertained the possibility that this is just a passing lunatic. Yeah, like, possibly. Yeah. So, Andy and Barney overhear this, and uh, Andy says, Well, have I got an interesting proposition for you. He goes full music man in a second. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, it, like it's his immediate, like, instinct. Like, he immediately goes con. Smash cut to Barney and Andy and this new guy, Mr. Mason, who is the antique dealer and they're standing outside of the cannon and mr mason's looking at it going boy i don't know boy I, and it's basically like i've watched a lot of american pickers and, why are you watching a lot of american pick- well never mind <laughs> there's no time <laughs> and that's basically what's going down here is they're just bullshitting each other trying to uh the antique dealer going well i don't know if i could find anybody to buy this which first rule of american pickers is anyone who says that is lying right because they're just trying to get a better price uh, so rather than do some haggling... How many rules are there to American Pickers, Marty? <laughs> List of them. Is it more than ten? Well, Dan, for the answer to that, you'll have to listen to our follow-up podcast, Pickup Artists, the American <laughs> Pickers podcast. So rather than try to haggle a little bit, Andy's just like... Andy just goes into full-on bullshit mode. He's like, well, you're interested in, like, historical stuff, right? Like, firing the first shot at Fort Sumter... So he, got, he like says the the first thing he says is Fort Sumter, but then he's like, actually, this was this cannon was hauled up San Juan Hill by Teddy Roosevelt. Completely different war. Yeah, yeah like you no, know, he he immediately pivots away from the Civil War. The most obvious thing. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he says like it came from uh came, which also like I think lends credence to the idea that like Mister Mason is not an antique dealer. Uh, or he is an antique well, dealer, and he's just again just going along with Andy's bullshit. Well, no, no, no. Mister uh, Mister Mason is immediately like, 
wasn't he was a cavalry unit. That doesn't make sense for them to have a cannon. Oh, and he's like, and he says, oh yeah, well he was a cavalry, but he was pulling this thing behind him on a horse, barely just implying that this horse was carrying a cannon. Yeah, you know, just an ar- <laughs> uh, the the artillery that all cavalrys have. Yeah, just when they used to makeshift like tanks. So Andy, Andy basically like manages to move the cannon for was it a hundred and seventy? A hundred and seventy-five dollars, which is like in two thousand seventeen, two thousand eighteen money, a little bit over a thousand bucks. Okay. Yeah, he made a he made a good chunk of change on this. That's about a, like appropriate for a cannon. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So he sells it for about a thousand dollars. I guess you'd clarify that figure came from the ultra reliable Mayberry Wiki. Yeah. <laughs> Oh God! The 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 third podcast member, yeah, the May the guy who writes the Mayberry Wiki. So yeah, but he, he does like this whole like like spiel like he immediately like, do I have a deal for you? Makes up a complete bullshit lie uh, to to sell this cannon. Goes uh goes back like, you will not believe the amount of money I got for that cannon. Real good. I did real good for the town. Hundred and seventy five dollars. And Ellie and Barney are both sitting there in horrified silence. Yeah. Just like like Barney's mouth is open. Ellie is like like wide-eyed and pursed lips. They're just like, did you just sell a man a cannon for a thousand dollars on a complete bullshit lie? Mr. Sheriff and Justice of the Peace. Yeah, they want nothing to do with this. They want 0% to do with it. It's really the first time, like, I can't believe this is the most horrified characters in the show have ever been at Andy's behavior when it has included voter suppression, child abduction, falsified uh, falsified police reports, uh, framing, and whatever the hell, oh, and and arresting people on trumped up witnesses. Like, Again, it's no nowhere near the worst thing he's done. It's the first time that that Barney and Ellie have just been like, "What the hell?" And it sort of feels like like it, like Barney is at the end of his rope, where he is just like Andy, like he Barney is like yeah, Barney's through, going through an existential crisis in this. Yeah, Barney starts doing the Barney equivalent of binge drinking, which is uh slamming uh slamming root beer floats. Yeah, he just keeps and and Ellie's like, "I think I should cut you off," and Barney's just like, "If you don't sell them to me, I'm just gonna buy them somewhere else." <laughs> It's genuinely funny. Yeah. Um, no, it's it's very clearly like a stand-in for just like him slugging whiskeys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but all right, so so they're pissed off at him, and Andy's like, "Well, don't that just beat all?" Blah 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 blah. Doing this for the town. Yeah. Oh my god, that got town uh, town. Uh, so then they go back, and Opie has now secured what kind of pro- prize does he have? He, yeah, you know, Opie, uh, Opie roller skates, uh, into the house, uh, and Andy, uh, Andy looks at him and is like, you have those roller skates, how did you get them? Uh, and Opie is like, my friend decided to give them to me for no reason whatsoever. Like, child, you told him your plan. Like, <laughs> you laid this out for him, and Andy was like, now I think what you might have done is you might have conned your friend with those licorice seeds into giving you those roller skates and I think you're about to try to lie to me about it you better not do that and Opie's like there may have been a deal involved like like yeah. still very very coyly yeah uh, so we get this like uh, I learned it from watching you yeah. moment <laughs> essentially again he's still like looking at Opie and he's like oh it's that 
it's it's the Kansas City shuffle all over again. The 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 family conning gene is in this boy's blood. I can't let him go down this path. Opie's just like, well, we both broke the rules. And Andy's like, oh, fine. Oh, God damn it. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so let's return to the soda shop pharmacy. Uh, Mr. Mason has come in. Uh, he wants to give Barney the money, the $175. He's got a check with him. He's like, here you go. Take it. And Barney's just like, no. Yeah. I want nothing to do with your blood money. Yeah. <laughs> Barney Barty is, like, slowly becoming more and more of a, like, he, he's becoming less of a bad person and more just turning into, like, a wimp. Yeah. Like, uh, no, I would say the exact opposite. He's developing a spine. Well, he, he, he like, later throughout the show, like, it is his overarching, like, thing of just, like, Barty's wimpy and sort of, and folds easily under pressure. Like, but they sure. made, like, he's no longer, like... Like, all right, episode two Barney would have been like, yeah, give it to me. We can use this to buy guns. Like, <laughs> like he would have been gung-ho about this. Okay, so so Barney's not taking the money. Andy comes in, and uh, Mr. Mason's like, well, here's your $175. And Andy comes clean. He's like, look, I got to tell you, I lied. This is And then uh, Mr. Mason takes this very, like, very well. He's just like, well, you know what? I'll tell you the truth, dude. I, I could definitely sell this cannon. I've yeah. got a guy to sell this cannon to. Uh, and so they like haggle themselves down. Yeah. Like, and this is where this is where Andy like screws up because he could have very like he just taken whatever. He's, he came clean and yeah. he feels so bad about the conning that he did earlier. He winds up selling it for like twenty dollars. Yeah. Minus ten for like delivery. Yeah. Yeah. So. The town gets nothing out of this, essentially. Yeah. Uh, so one thing I actually, we actually forgot to mention, and, and circle back, the reason that they're getting rid of the cannon is it's being replaced by a plaque. Hence the title, A Plaque for Mayberry. Uh, we did a bad job explaining that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, uh, yeah, no, no, no. They're, they're getting a plaque from a famous, uh, from a rich former resident who's donating a, uh, a plaque to commemorate uh, Mayberry's uh, role in a famous Civil War battle. Uh, yeah. which, with a confederate connection in their heads, like, it's a man from the deep south. He's donating a, a plaque, and it is revealed at the very end of the episode in a nice little, uh, like, putting a bow on its stinger. The epilogue. The epilogue. That, uh, he is, uh, that he has decided, in lieu of a plaque, to provide them with an authentic Civil War cannon. <laughs> Like that had its uh, its muzzle cracked in that in, in the battle of the something or other trailing off. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So so really, it was uh, Mr. Mason. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Mason was a was a fellow con man the entire time who just took their uh, their cannon, turned it around, and sold it right back to the town. Yeah. Yeah. With, with his, rules. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. And it does kind of like tie into like the earlier thing of Opie being like, oh man, doing the right thing sucks. Like I got screwed over, but I can't screw over other people. And Andy like like little little like full circle. Andy uh has his own like little Opie lesson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Pretty funny. Yeah. All right. So do you wanna you wanna do some episode ratings? Episode ratings. Episode uh, ratings. So episode 13, Mayberry Goes Hollywood. Uh -huh. Alright, so starting with our Andy meter, scale of 1 to 10 Andy's, how good is this episode? Two. You don't like this episode at I all. I hated this episode. I, I, I literally tried to do like a quick recap uh, like watch of it, and I got bored halfway through and just started watching Arrested Development. Like, it's, like, 
It's so shitty. I think, like, uh, uh, something I want to, like, specify with each of these is, like, should you watch this at home uh, in addition to, to listening to this? Uh, this one, absolutely not. Did, like, it's boring as hell. Okay, yeah. Uh, I actually kind of like this episode for some reason, because I had a lot to talk about, but the more we talked about it, the more I realized, yeah, this episode does kind of suck. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give it a four. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, it's a four Andes for me. However, let's go ahead and flip the, the FIFO meter. So our FIFO meter is like how disturbing, how fucked up, how morally reprehensible is this, this episode. Zero. Zero, yes. Zero fives. No, like, nobody does anything. One five, one five for uh, Floyd's weird, like, practicing medicine on yeah, cats kind yeah. of thing. Like, what the hell? Yeah. Um, I will say, this episode does have the silver lining introduction to the mayor. Like, yeah. <laughs> my favorite fucking character. <laughs> he had the mayor he's, role. Oh, God. He's just like if a bulldog could also be an old man. It's very, uh... More like, of a pug. Powerpuff Girls, like, mayor of Townsville kind of thing. Holy shit. Like, almost directly related. If the mayor of, of Townsville was egg-shaped. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, so, zero, no moral repugnancy whatsoever. Yeah, zero. Zero. Right. Just, a, just good, clean fun. Yeah. Okay, so Mayberry goes Hollywood, and that I was really like. Alright, so, episode 14, The Horse Trader. Yeah. Alright, Andy Meter. I'd say, seven? It's pretty good, it pretty, it's a pretty well-written episode, like, uh, it, it, it has, like, a really nice arc. Like, uh, there's sort of, like, a it does a cool thing of, like, Andy Andy has a, uh, like, Opie is a microcosm of the episode happening, like, within, like, within the episode that, like, sort of echoes out to the, to, like, how uh, Andy gets, like, screwed over in the end. Yeah, and once again, they're kind of experimenting with telling two stories, but haven't really figured, like, the merger out. Yeah. I yeah. Think... Uh, they, 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 they do some cool storytelling sh- uh, uh, stuff. It's, There's um, a little bit of filler in it, but, like, not a whole lot. A, a smidge of filler, and it also, it does have an important milestone of the the first time that Barney, in any way whatsoever, stands up to Andy. Yeah, I'll also go seven. Seven. Yeah. And then, so this is interesting. Uh, we can't really call it the fifo meter for this episode, because Barney Fife is completely in the right, but as far as, like, moral, like, like, like terribleness, uh, I mean, it's not gonna give it, like, a Three or four. Ma- like, Barney circles back. Like this is this is not like the the last. Like Barney has not been a monster for the last time in the episode. He comes back with a vengeance. Oh sure. Like, oh sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like yeah, for this as far as like like screwed up stuff, three or four. Like it's not the worst thing Andy has done. It's it's honestly it's it's kind of low because like it's the most Andy has ever been punished for his actions. That's true. Proportional to how shitty the actions are. Normally, what makes this show so like upsetting is how much like how how much the characters get away with their bad actions and are often like rewarded for them like this andy does relatively little uh illegal shit and is heavily like like biblically punished like god reaches down to sort of like slap andy on the head yeah like so i'd say like I'd, I'd put it like a two or three. I'm, I'm going to go with three. Yeah, 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 three. All right, so those are our ratings. Those are our two episodes. Oh, and don't watch Mayberry Goes Hollywood. I'd say watch Horse Trader. Horse Trader is worth watching. Yeah, yeah. I think right now the list of, like, which ones you you should watch are definitely Manhunt. Uh, oh, shit. Definitely a feud is a feud. Definitely a feud is a feud. Definitely, what's the... Runaway Kid. 
And uh, episode seven, what's the name of that? I can never remember because it's Andy something. the Matchmaker. Andy the Matchmaker. Yeah. Yeah. Those those are those are some of our favorites right now. Yeah. Uh, all right. So next time we're typing on uh, episode fifteen, those gossiping men, uh, oh and episode sixteen. The Beauty Contest. I really like the Beauty Contest episode. The Beauty uh, Contest episode rules. I, yeah, that, that's another one of like, I really like the second episode. Not a super fan of the first episode. Once again, our theme music is done by Max Ludwig, who you can follow on Twitter at Sleep Talkie. Our logo design is Emily Christina, who you can follow on Instagram at Scribblemily. Scribemily. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's like an extra L in there somewhere. Oh, yeah, you're right. Scribblemily. Yeah, scrib- yeah. Yeah, it's like scribe. It's S-C-R-I-B-L-E-M-L-E. Yeah. Yeah. If you like the show, please continue to listen to us. We are on iTunes and Stitcher and wherever you get your your podcasts from. Uh, please remember to give us a rating, a review, share us with your friends, share us with your grandparents. You know, have a good old bonding experience around us. And tweet at Ron Howard. Tweet at Ron Howard. Tell Ron Howard how your day's going. Just hit him up and, and just... just Ask him, this time, ask how Ron Howard how he's doing. Yeah. Like, just, just check in with Ron Howard. Make when sure was the doing... last time anyone asked how Ron Howard felt? He's got to be doing uh, doing pretty good. Solo doesn't suck, apparently, so he's that's got to be taken a weight off of him. We should have we should have checked in earlier. He was probably under a lot of pressure. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, as always, tweet at Ron Howard, and also tweet at us. We are at Break Mayberry. Uh, and you can also hit us on email. Give us an email, breakingmayberry at gmail.com. What are going to email us? Slash break, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to find out. <laughs> Facebook.com, like us on Facebook, Breaking Mayberry. But please, above all, give us a rating, give us a review, subscribe. Be sure to do all that stuff because that helps us get to other people's earbuds. I think we're pretty much wrapped up. Oh, obviously you can also follow... Me on Twitter, I'm at Schneid Remarks. I'm at the Luds. Two D's. Double I, D. I'm, I'm morally opposed to, to saying how many D's there are. Okay. Yeah, I want them to have to look for it. Until then, uh, we'll see y'all later. We'll see y'all down at the fishing hole.